Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here for football. As always, I am your host, John Daigle. Joined today to wrap up our first and moving forward annually ranking summits. None other than John Paulson himself. John, how's everything going? Everything's going good. It's interesting to see the camp uh, news starting to fire up in the timeline. We're getting videos. We're getting stats. It's it's exciting time of the year. Interesting's one word for it. Uh, I don't think you, you're ever fully prepared until all those tweets and all those notifications and all those news blurbs keep start coming in. And then you realize, oh, like it's here. We are here. Veterans are have not put on pads just yet, but literally every team is at training camp right now. And that is our life for the next month of the season until it kicks off in the first second weekend of September. Nonetheless, though, we are starting with all those notifications and all those blurbs with training camp news. Before we dive in, though, quick reminder, in order to access everything at the site, Paulson's 99 stats ranking, for example, top 99 stats that he's aware of that just released. Also, my team previews, which are at 16 right now, hoping to have those wrapped up and at the next week, week and a half. Remember that you could go for the early bird pricing, $10 off at 444.com. That's great. But also, you can get access to the site by also just going to Underdog and using the promo code 444 and depositing $10. Literally, that's it. Promo code 444 and dive in. And then you get access to everything we're talking about, including today with our running back projections. With that being said, though, let's go ahead and dive into our first news of note. And I think the biggest news out of training camp that's happened in the past week was Julio Jones signing out of nowhere for a one-year, I believe, $6 million contract. Correct me if I'm wrong. And so I would just like to get your thoughts on the entire fallout of everyone involved in the Bucks passing game, Julio included. Well, I was taking your word on the contract. I didn't look it up. Uh, $6 million is pretty significant, but not outrageous, for certainly for a player of Julio's uh, track record. Um this was an interesting signing. I, I, of course, was hoping that the Packers would land Julio on a prove-it deal, um, but he he lands with uh, the Buccaneers, gives Tom Brady uh, yet another weapon. Uh, and then also, uh, Chris Godwin was not placed on PUP to start the the camp, so which is really good news for him. And I would also say really good news for Tom Brady, uh, who looks like he might start the season with all four of his primary weapons now, um, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, and uh, Russell Gage. Uh, as far as Jones, you know, you hear stuff about him being washed. Um, that may or may not be, but he's 33. Usually these elite guys play pretty well into their mid-30s. His issue has been hamstring pulls, soft tissue injuries, and last year he was a 1.76 yards per route run. Uh, which was 31st amongst 110 eligible receivers, uh, PFF stat. And that was a career low by pretty wide margin. He's usually top five, if not number one overall in that stat. So the point is, is that he's probably not the Julio of old. I don't think any that surprises anybody, but can he help this team? I think he probably can. And I, I'm guessing that the goal will be to kind of ease uh, Godwin in uh really ride uh, Mike Evans and Russell Gage at the start of the year get Jones involved but maybe rotate Jones and Godwin uh until Godwin's 100% and then you might see them rotate Jones and Gage and maybe run some four four receiver sets as well um so for that reason I'm not like super bullish on Julio I think he's going to be a part-time player uh if if there's an injury 
to one of those four guys, or I guess one of the other three guys, then he suddenly might play 70, 80, 90% of the snaps in any given week, and he'll be very useful in that sort of a role. Um, but I think, you know, if all four are healthy, he'll be a part-timer. Uh, this all sort of knocks Mike Evans down a bit because he's not going to see the potential uh, immense target volume that we were perhaps going to see if Godwin were going to miss the first month and Julio wasn't signed and it was just Evans and, and Gage and everybody else. Uh, so he dropped a little bit in the in the rankings as well. Gage dropped a little bit in the rankings just because uh, things are a little bit tighter. And then Godwin moved up because it looks like he may be ready for week one. You can, of course, access all of them just by being ahead of ADP on Tom Brady. That's probably the best way to go here. Of course, you do need stacking options, at least for best ball tournaments, not necessarily for your 12-team redraft leagues. But I do want to, like you, I'm glad you have that opinion because I also want to temper the expectations of what Julio Jones can do individually. There was a rumor going around, first of all, for the last two years, actually, that some some friends have passed along to me that discuss and talk with agents and that Julio Jones, like the past two years post-large contract, has practically been checked out of football, a la Allen Robinson last season, just disgruntled really with his situation. And his play, Julio's practically defines that. 6.1 targets per game over the last two years, including being targeted last season on a below average 19% of his routes run. And then in two starts without A.J. Brown for the Titans, literally totaled just two targets. And those two games where he was the perceived alpha. You mentioned as well the career low and yards per route run with Tennessee. And it's just a similar situation in my mind to Le'Veon Bell, to A.J. Green of last year, where everyone's drafting via nostalgia and not what we are already learning about avoiding players in this stage of their career. Um, every argument on this show, though, essentially boils down to a player's ADP. We don't hate or like players. It comes down to their ADP. That's our job. And so I don't know what ADP it would take for me to personally get in on Julio, believing he has standalone value, but I know he's going to shoot past it. I know how everyone's going to interpret and overhandle and overthink this situation. And so thus, for my opinion to be his absolute ceiling and best case scenario at this stage of his career to be a weekly flex option at best, then I know for a fact like I'm just never going to draft him because that's not where he's going to go via drafts because everyone will, again, chase their childhood and chase what they love about Julio Jones's past career, not his current status. So I, that's where I'm at. And to your point, I agree. Maybe Mike knock, knock Mike Evans down a tad, but also remember, if we think, I know he avoided pup list, but if we think the signing was made because they are going to bring Chris Godwin along slowly, notes of November, like as a full-time player, have been reported, hinted at by beats so far from training camp. Remember, like Mike Evans, Julio Jones doesn't matter. Mike Evans exploded last year in the playoffs as a player they moved around the field, 27% slot rate, jammed nearly 10 targets per game because Chris Godwin was not available. And so if Chris Godwin's brought along slowly, I still think there's a, a top five potentially ceiling for Mike Evans to access at least through the first month, month and a half of a long season. So that's kind of how I'm handling those situations right now. Yeah, I would just add that I don't know how quickly Julio's ADP will rise. I was in a uh, FFPC slim draft yesterday after all this mm-hmm. had broken, and he was. I got still some. 
I got some te- DMs, by the way, asking if it was me. Uh, and then I had to remind everyone, there are many Johns at 444 since 444 John was the name they saw. I, I am oh. Daigle on FFPC for anyone asking. Well, I don't know. Like my, my team name is something completely different because oh, I don't okay. want people using my rankings against me. But um, <laughs> maybe somebody's maybe somebody's pretending to be me. Um, but I uh, I picked him up in the 15th round. He was still on the board. So I think that is is fine. And I think he's... He's a player that you're not going to start every week, but he might be useful when healthy. Uh, and there's maybe an injury to somebody else on that in that roster. I'll be interested to see how how much he's used in that first month of the season. Moving on, some other news we received from camp. Important news is that James Robinson also somehow avoided pup only seven months after an Achilles tear. And so really it's not about how we're handling james robinson it's about how this affects in your mind travis Etienne and your projections that's why i'm curious to get your thoughts on where your brain is working right now in that situation yeah i mean i think we talked about Etienne a few times uh over the course of the summer and he's really one of the this whole situation is one of the most fascinating compelling intriguing uh, running back situations and it's not really i don't know if it's how much of a competition it is i guess it is now that robinson is back but it was whether or not Robinson is going to be back at the start of the year and how effective he'll be. And the fact that the team apparently sees Robinson as their RB one. So Travis Etienne has been going sometimes in the third round, maybe even second in some of these drafts, I think his ADP is somewhere in the third or fourth, but obviously fantasy drafters think that he's the, the going to lead that team in touches. Certainly uh, Robinson is kind of an afterthought in drafts. And now that you have Robinson like available and apparently the team's RB one, according to the team and the beat writers, uh, I would have to think that ETN's uh, ADP is dropping. Um, do I, I don't know that this is the right move for the team. Like I think that ETN probably has more upside and they probably should with Robinson coming off of this nasty injury, just give him the time and space to sort of get back into proper shape and not overdo it maybe just make him the RB2 and and see if he starts to outperform ETN because ETN's a really good talented player uh three down ability could you know run it catch it all of it but what we want the team to do and what the team is actually going to do are often two very different things and i think that you know Doug Peterson has a history of running a committee uh, and we might just see a kind of a weird split here with these two players, and that just means that ETN is being overdrafted. Do you still consider him the tear breaker in between the next group of RBs that are considered the dead zone, like Elijah Mitchell, uh, Josh Jacobs, Antonio Gibson, J.K. Dobbins, ADP? We'll talk about that in a second. Is falling. Do you still consider ETN like a tier ahead of those guys, or are you now letting him slip back and you're just perhaps drafting him if his ADP drops in your draft? This is tough because you look at the, you know, I'm just, I have it ranked by, uh, right now by uh, half PPR. And, you know, you got a lot of guys here in these RB2 ranks, which you can really count on their workload. You know what they're going to get Ezekiel Elliott, David Montgomery. I mean, to a certain extent, we know what Javante Williams is going to get. He's maybe not what we want, but we know he's going to get 14, 15 touches at least. Cam Akers, we, we know that they're going to feed him the ball. And then I have right now still Etienne at 19, Brees Hall at 20. I think I might flip-flop those two. And then Elijah Mitchell right there, a few points behind it uh, at 21, A.J. Dillon 22. So I think he's in that category now. We just don't know that he's even going to start. 
week one or get more than 10 touches. If they just, if they come out of the gates thinking that James Robinson is their RB one, he might get, you know, 20 carries for 60 yards and ETN's being sprinkled in for 10 touches. What concerned me the most was not the James Robinson avoids pup. It was the LaVisca Chenault also being used as a running back quite often in camp right now. It's like, oh, well, that's a couple more carries that we don't get for ETN. But I still have ETN in that tier above those guys. I will basically be not drafting running backs after ETN until we get to five, six rounds later, whenever the Tony Pollards, the Ramondre Stevensons, those guys that we know do not have like a surplus role, but can fall into a heavily used surplus role with perhaps an injury in front of them. So yeah, I'm still drafting ETN in that range just because he at least has the receiving profile. Maybe the touches aren't there anymore with Robinson perhaps available in week one, but just to have a hundred catches under his belt in college, 1,100 receiving yards as well. Uh, reminder, he led the nation all running backs in college with 580 receiving yards in 2020. So that is his profile. And that's why I want to be higher on him because I think he can still offer that unlike a lot of backs in that range. Yeah, I think he had – didn't uh, ETN have back-to-back 1,600-yard rushing seasons the two seasons prior to his final mm-hmm. season? Like, so he can do it all. I just – it's just weird what the hell they're talking about, you know, Robinson and being the RB one. That's just troubling to me um, with the beat. Like I've seen multiple beat writers say that. So it's, it's, that's really strange to me uh, given the situation with uh, Robinson's uh, uh, Achilles. Another notable running back news from camp. Ramondre Stevenson reportedly worked with the first string offense and Damian Harris with the number two, at least on the first day. They were intimate, intermittently working together. But the fact is that Stevenson still got reps in the first string for a player whose ADP is already surging. Where do you sit now on Stevenson and his situation? Well, I moved him up a little bit today on that report and I did a little more digging and it, it, it really is kind of fuzzy as to the first team, second team thing. The The way that the, tr- the tweet that I saw was framed was that Stevenson basically has moved ahead of Damian Harris on the depth chart, but that, I don't think that's the case. I think um, we probably were getting incomplete information, uh, but Stevenson is working in and rotating in with the ones, which is not surprising if you are following this team. I mean, they Damian Harris has been the starter, um, but they obviously run a committee. And the other thing here is that Stevenson is effectively looking to replace James White, who is apparently still walking with a gimp. We don't know how healthy he is. And if James White is not on the team or not able to play in September or something like that, then Stevenson's value is going to shoot way up because he's likely the receiving back in this offense, which has always been a very uh, productive role uh, in new England. And he's, he fared really well in the advanced stats as terms of uh, broken tackles per attempt yards after contact per attempt. I take those two rankings from pro football reference, you know, average the rankings uh, to come up with one number and just to kind of see how good a player does in advanced stats. And he was second behind Nick Chubb in those stats. So um, pretty bullish on him from a talent standpoint. Now, if his ADP gets out of control, as you mentioned, we don't dislike players or like players. We just <laughs> dislike ADP or like ADP. Um, but I, you know, I think I, I mean, I moved him ahead of Harris uh, just because I think he's got a bigger receiving profile and, you know, maybe those, those carries are a little closer uh, than we think they're going to be, at least looking at last season. 
It's a double-edged sword for me because on one hand, we have the evidence from last year. In, in five games together without James White, five games, of course, because that's the only amount of time they played together where one or the other did not exit early due to injury. And in those five games, Damian Harris out-touched Stevenson 71-55, to ran six more routes than Stevenson 39-33, to and out-targeted him 8-5. to Brandon Bolden, who will likely be Las Vegas's receiving back, given his ties to Josh McDaniels, was actually playing the James Wright role in that span behind Stevenson and Harris. But since Bolden obviously is no longer there, that does mean the situation is more ambiguous for that James White role, assuming as he opened on the team's pup list, assuming that he's not there in week one, perhaps for the first month of the season. I do think it's up in the air more than we think. I don't, though, think the goal line role is up in the air whatsoever, considering Harris was one of only two running backs at least 30 carries inside the 10 last year, whereas Stevenson only totaled 11 all year. And so I do think Harris still has like his role identified, but also Stevenson could fall into a much bigger one, and as we saw, is a very good player when given touches. So I don't want to, I don't want to like over-exaggerate his ADP and be significantly higher than everyone, but you know, in the ninth. 10th round where he's not going right now, I think, yeah, I'm fine being at least a, a round ahead of his ADP for sure. Yeah. And he's got that top 10, top eight type upside if yep. something were to happen to Harris. So that's what you, you want like a weekly role plus that sort of upside if you can get it there in the middle rounds. Another running back news drop from camp. J.K. Dobbins opened on the pup list, as did Gus Edwards. The key factor here, though, is that they've already listed the Ravens. Gus Edwards questionable for week one, whereas Dobbins sounds like he's at least only a few weeks away from returning, which would be huge. So any adjustments here for the Ravens' backfield? Yeah, I mean, this looks slightly better for Dobbins. I mean, mm -hmm. there was that whole kerfuffle with uh, Ian Rappaport last week uh, about Dobbins not being close to being ready. And then Dobbins uh, chimed back with he was ready, going to be ready for week one for sure. Um, yeah, if they're, if they're listing Edwards as questionable for week one, that certainly, I mean, he was his injury was after Dobbins, so it makes sense that he'd be a little bit behind uh, Dobbins in his recovery. But I, I sort of put these two at about the same point um, until we get in, into mid-August and we have a better idea who's practicing, who's not practicing, and uh, trying to project week one. Um, this is a weird deal as well because they do want to run the ball more, but both their top guys are banged up. They've got Mike Davis as the third. They got Tyler ba uh, Beatty and um, Justice was it Justice Hill um, still there? And you know it's they're not they're not going to be able to run the ball as much as they want if Dobbins and Edwards are limited. If one or both of those guys are fully healthy, then they, maybe they can get back to that really run heavy approach. But as it stands right now, it just seems like they're both sort of iffy for September um, with Dobbins looking a little bit better. Uh, my issue with Dobbins has always been his lack of involvement in the passing game. And then couple that with a split in carries with Edwards, who has just been too good to completely bench. If you're the Baltimore Ravens, I mean, he's a very productive running back. So they like to rotate the two of them and they don't throw either one of them the ball. So you're really counting on a lot of rushing yards and hopefully touchdowns for Dobbins. Also, I don't like being ahead of Dobbins so much at ADP because we know he doesn't have the receiving upside. Uh, the Ravens, three years old, Lamar Jackson, their, their backfield hasn't has finished bottom five and running back target rate. So we know he's not going to get the targets. Thus, he doesn't have the, the kind of upside 
that people sometimes draft him in. But right now, I've even seen FFPC leagues where he's fallen to the seventh round. And so I do think even if you just take his rushing profile as the RB 25 through 30, that's okay. Because I do think his upside is around RB 17 or 18 without catching passes. And we're getting a discount on that since we know it's a timeshare. But if one of those members of the timeshare are out, like I don't really think Tyler Beatty or Mike Davis is going to cut into uh, into J.K. Dobbins' role if he's the starter in week one, if he's ready to go. So yeah, I do actually like getting the discount on Dobbins right now. And I think you can actually, if your draft falls this way and you start with like a top four, top five running back, and then you notice receivers are falling, tight ends, Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray in the fifth, sixth round, and suddenly you only have one running back when it gets to the sixth or seventh round, that's still a discount for Dobbins, especially if he's going to start without Edwards in week one. So that's the way I like handling it right now. Yeah, and if, if Edwards is not ready, then Dobbins has that top 10 upside. I mean, I like Edwards at, if you're looking at the two players and trying to pick one or the other, I would take Edwards at his ADP due to the lower cost, and he has similar upside to Dobbins if Dobbins were to get injured. Um, but with Edwards already considered to be on the shelf for week one, or at least questionable, um, Dobbins certainly has significant upside in September. Uh, if he's running, he's running by himself. I just think long-term they're going to, it's going to be a committee and neither one of them are, yeah, neither one of them are going to catch passes. So I don't know how much he helps you in the fantasy playoffs. If Edwards and Dobbins are are both healthy. I think the answer, like when, you know, we've just had this discussion on the show about where do you go for Buffalo, all these ancillary options. Where do you go for the Chiefs, all these ancillary options? Like the answer being Travis Kelsey and Stephon Diggs, the answer for the Ravens is Lamar Jackson. Like, don't even overthink the backfield in that case. Just Mark, keep Mark, on being. I would add Mark Ad, uh, Mark Andrews, Andrews to that. Yes. Yeah. Who sure. we are, who we are still at least on ADP higher than than consensus, since we believe he should be a first, second round turn player, and he's still going in the middle of the second round. Quick other notes before we get out of here: it is still a competition for the slot role in Buffalo since Jameson Crowder is not healthy right now on the pup list; he's not available. But Isaiah McKenzie is blowing up training camp reports because he's having such a successful few days opening week as the slot receiver. So keep that in mind because Crowder is still going five to eight rounds ahead of McKenzie, which is still insane considering it's an ambiguous situation. We don't know. So McKenzie's still a value. Also, Wondell Robinson, note for everyone, open in three wide receiver sets in Giants camp. Sterling Shepard is on the pup list, but we also don't have a timeline for him. So that seems significant that he opened over Darius Slayton from the slot. And then Josh Palmer also. We knew this news from minicamp, but just to confirm, First week of Chargers camp, Josh Palmer also opened in three wide sets for the Chargers. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back with what everyone's gathered for, our running back ranking summit. Right now, if you sign up at Underdog as a new subscriber, not only will you receive a free pro subscription to 4 for 4 with access to all of our off-season content, including our around-the-clock Discord conversations, Underdog will also match your deposit up to $100 by 100% literally mirror it and there are no catches just download the underdog app use the promo code four for four when depositing that's the number four word the number again and presto at the top of drafts you already know the two individuals you should be looking at it is christian mccaffrey and jonathan taylor i think the best answer is to say you can't be wrong 
and you should take one and not overthink it since we have finite minutes in our lifetime. And imagine thinking about fractional points for a majority of that offseason. But, Paulson, that is not our job to philosophize. That's not even a word. Our job is to decipher between those two. So let's put you on the clock. Number one overall pick, do you go JT or CMC? I think in PPR, it's debatable. Uh, I have Taylor slightly ahead of McCaffrey, but I wouldn't look at anybody anybody crazy if they took uh, McCaffrey over Taylor in a full PPR league. Uh, Half PPR and standard, I'm going with Taylor. Um, I've just, and I think it might be a personal issue that I've, taken McCaffrey number one overall in the Scott Fishbowl the last two years and he's gotten injured both years um, but I'd be happy to get McCaffrey second or third in the, in the first round I think he should come back and have a productive year Taylor is everything's lined up for Taylor good offensive line better quarterback play and we obviously saw what he could do last season McCaffrey also has only been available as you mentioned for eight games the past two years eight full games under Matt Rule and he's averaged 17 and a half carries at a 20 percent target share in those games I actually am in FFPC leagues where I get the 101 because FFPC for everyone for note it is full PPR thus in full PPR leagues I am taking McCaffrey but in half PPR or if anyone still plays standard there's boomers out there who still play fantasy football uh it's Jonathan Taylor for me I think looking at everyone knows like the leading the league from inside the 10 and five yard lines, right? Jonathan Taylor's touchdown prowess, but also for Jonathan Taylor to put the clamp on in the second half of the season and out carry literally the rest of Indianapolis backfield to 11 to 34 for week eight on like that shows that they literally have no interest in getting anyone else involved. This is entirely a Jonathan Taylor's backfield, at least in terms of carries. So again, I think it's overthinking. You just go one or the other. You can't be wrong and you're not going to be right because you're probably not going to be able to guess the fractional difference in points at season's ends. If both are healthy though, full PPR, CMC for me, JT number two. Having said that, after that tier, because they are on a tier of their own, that's when it gets murky. And even if you look at our projections another site's projections, it all differs anyone you ask. Uh, the group really is Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, Najee Harris. And then there's an argument after that, honestly, between Aaron Jones, DeAndre Swift, and Joe Mixon. Maybe Dalvin Cook as well. Those are kind of the players I'm at in no particular order. So I would like you to sift through them for us. Yeah, the guys you mentioned round out my top 10. So we have the, we have the same guys in the top 10. And it, it comes down to, uh, you know, just looking at the next tier, I have it Henry, Eckler, and Harris in half PPR. In full PPR, I would probably take Eckler over Henry. Henry did get more involved as a receiver last year, and he was on pace for, I think, 36 catches, which would have been a career high, if I remember correctly. So he was not a problem in PPR formats like he has been in, you know, in years past. Uh, he, he's always going to get his 20-something carries, but the fact that he was offering something as a receiver last year uh, was appealing too, and he was leading everything prior to that injury. So the question is with Henry is, do you think he's going to fall off a cliff um, after that foot injury, even though he did return, it was good enough for him to return in the playoffs. I don't think he will. Um, I think you're sitting there with Taylor and McCaffrey off the board, and maybe you don't want to take a, a receiver in the first round. I think Henry is a rock solid option. Um, and he's going to, you know, we know he's going to see the, the workload that you want out of your RB one. Um, I think Eckler is appealing in PPR formats uh, due to all those catches, but he's not like super durable either compared to Henry. I mean, I think they're both 
you know, have had some games where they've been dinged up or Henry had that half season last year, but has otherwise been pretty healthy. Eckler has missed some time here and there. It's not like he's a, uh, an iron man. So that's sort of how I have those two. It sort of depends on the PPR to half PPR format. And then I have Najee after them. I, I just feel like the, uh, the Steelers are going to run the ball. The, the, the um, offensive line should be uh, better, but you know, we don't know about this offense with Mitch Trubisky running things. And if it's going to be any better uh, than what it was with Ben Roethlisberger. So I, I think he's a solid number five option. Uh, and then you mentioned these other guys. And I think, you know, for me, especially in PPR, but certainly in half PPR, I like Aaron Jones at six. I think that he's going to be extremely involved in the passing game. I love getting him in the middle of the second round. Uh, that's where he, he's sort of going right now. And I'm, you know, maybe I'm taking a receiver or a tight end in the first round and, and then being able to grab uh, Jones as my RB1 in the second round. I think they'll use him a lot. Um, you know, yes, A.J. Dillon is there. Yes, maybe he'll vulture some rushing touchdowns, but they do like using Jones uh, around the goal line as well because he's really able to wiggle and make a guy miss, that first guy miss, and to get in the end zone. Plus, I think they'll just use him a lot as a receiver with Devontae Adams out of there. Uh, for similar reasons, I like DeAndre Swift, uh, especially in PPR. He's catching a lot of passes. And then after that, in half PPR, you know, mix in solid uh, every week starter for you, solid workload. Not going to play on third down, but he's still catching passes despite the fact that he was not playing on third down towards the end of the season. Still caught a lot of passes in, down the stretch and in the uh, the playoffs. So I think he's still viable in PPR formats. He's just not going to be an every down player like you kind of want. Then uh, Fournette and then Dalvin Cook. And I think it, Cook probably could be bumped up a little bit. I worry a little bit about this off-field stuff that he has, the lawsuit. Um, and I do worry a little bit about his shoulder separation which is you know more likely to happen as time goes on here um, but I think he's a pretty productive player uh, for Minnesota and if they are throwing the ball a little bit more this year uh, his, his uh, receptions could really spike and that would be good for him he's he's been really good for for the Vikings whenever he's been healthy and he hasn't been really splitting time with Madison at all Alexander Madison it's really been uh, a workhorse type uh, situation for Dalvin Cook that's why I look at Dalvin Cook and ask, where would I have him? Because, you know, we're all in the best ball streets right now. And really, you have to assume a lot with your best ball teams. You have to pretend as if it goes right, since it's a, you're playing the long game more than anything. And with Dalvin Cook being top five in touches per game among running backs in each of the last three seasons, I just pretend as if he doesn't have the looming court case. There's also been rumors from people much smarter than me on Twitter that handle these things and have dealt with them in the past about law and court cases. And it seems more than reasonable that Cook's case is actually pushed to the offseason to February since that's a pending option right now. And so I still think Dalvin Cook should be a top five running back. And when discussing the players we mentioned, the player I'm actually taking out of there is your number five running back, Najee Harris. And only because last year, even in handling 87% of Pittsburgh's backfield touches, and seeing 94 of the team's 106 running back targets, 88%, he still finished only as the RB8 and fantasy points per game because it's it's perceived incorrectly that he's explosive. He's not explosive at all. Uh, he has 29 gains of 20-plus yards on 945 career carries going back to college, including four on 307 carries with the Steelers last year. And so I don't think he offers the upside 
to be a top five back in fantasy points per game. And I'd much rather someone who not only has the receiving profile, but also has shown us that he's terrific when on the field. Of course, Dalvin Cook misses time from here and there, but he's still, when he's on the field, a top five player, top three player, arguably. So I like making sure I have Dalvin Cook in there. Hopefully by the time everyone's drafting and redraft leagues, we have that answer for them. And then I still like playing it safe with Austin Eckler, if only because top three in targets per game among running backs the past three years. Even if he loses some of his goal line work from last year, career high 16 carries from inside the five-yard line, after the year prior, Anthony Lynn only gave him two carries from inside the five-yard line. Even if he loses some of that to Isaiah Spiller, who has day two draft capital and is a three-down workhorse, that's his profile from AM. Uh, to get those targets, I think, is still important in this range that is debated and different between everyone. And so I still like Austin Eckler quite high. Yeah, I would just add on Najee. Uh, I don't know if you remember what happened in week 18. I don't, but he played 50, <laughs> 50, 50% of the snaps, mm-hmm. uh, had 11 carries. It just seems like a weird stat line for him. I if I just look at the you know week one through week 17 to kind of avoid that uh, weird weirdness in the final week of the season. And he did have the number six per game average when you just look at that uh, first 17 weeks. So that's just something to consider. He's just behind Henry. Jonathan Taylor, Eckler, Mixon, and Alvin Kamara. Uh, and, and Dalvin Cook was there. I mean, there, it's 16.0 versus 15.1. And and Dalvin was dealing with some injuries throughout the year, so he probably wasn't 100% in some of those games. Um, so, yeah, I think it's – I think Dalvin, if you look at the, the, the projections for half PPR, he's very close to being all the way up into the number six spot. Uh, it's just a very tight group of, of players there if you're looking at half PPR. The next group of running backs, though, is where it gets really interesting because that's when we get into you got to have a little faith depending on your rankings. Uh, Saquon Barkley, Leonard Fournette, James Conner, Nick Chubb, perhaps without Deshaun Watson, Alvin Kamara, Ezekiel Elliott, Cam Akers. It, it truly differs because everyone has different opinions and spin on these players' situations and their health. So where do they fall for you? So I have, I have Fournette at nine, so I have him in the top 10. He probably mm-hmm. should be behind Cook. I, I don't think I would take Fournette over Cook, just thinking about it. But that's how I sort of work out my rankings as I start drafting and I'm faced with the decision. And I'm like, okay, I'm not doing this. So I, then I go back and change the ranking um, to reflect that. But um, I have Barkley at 11. I think I'm cautiously optimistic about the uh, upgrades on the offensive line. They, they've made a lot of changes and they're hoping that some of them stick and, you know, Brian Dayball, there are running the offense. have got more faith in him. And then Barkley now being a year removed from his injury uh, should be back. And he's young enough, I think, to come back, you know, to full sort of strength. I don't know that he's going to, I mean, this, this giants offense in general has been pretty bad the last few years. And so I don't know if he's got that top five, top three upside, but possible. Um, but I'm not confident in that. Uh, I have James Conner at 12 and a half PPR. I, I just feel like he's going to be the workhorse for the Cardinals. I think they, you know, they did bring in Daryl Williams, but Connor's better than him in virtually every aspect of the game. Uh, and that, that sort of split will decide what Connor's production is on a per week basis. I mean, it's, it's kind of dumb to say that, but, um, or obvious to say that I should say, like if Connor is the workhorse that we saw with Edmonds out, then he's being way underdrafted in the third or fourth round of these drafts. Now you could maybe make a case for Daryl Williams to to play more than the backups did when Edmonds was sidelined, 
Um, but I don't know that he's that Connor is going to be giving up many snaps to Daryl Williams. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, after that, Nick Chubb, you know, maybe the one of the best, if not the best, pure runners in the league, uh, just as mired in this committee with Kareem Hunt. And we don't know what's going on with this offense. The Deshaun Watson situation still looming. I think he's a solid pick. He's not going to kill you in the third or fourth round, but not going probably not going to win your league unless there's some sort of injury or something happens. Uh, Alvin Kamara, uh, what you know? What is the situation with his legal thing? You know, you were talking about people on Twitter. Uh, Drew Davenport doing a great job with the legal stuff. He doesn't. He's not worried about Dalvin Cook at all, really. Uh, but the Kamara situation got pushed back uh, to August the next date. And he's thinking that this whole thing might get pushed back to after the season. However, there were some reports that, you know, the team is bracing uh, Kamara's camp is bracing for a suspension this year. They want to, you know, the NFL wants to take care of it this year or something. So that's a little alarming. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, um, coupling that with Kamara's splits with uh, Mark Ingram healthy, um, his touches are way down when Ingram is available. Now, Ingram is pretty old uh, in his early 30s, but if he's healthy and around, that could limit Kamara's upside. When he's had those huge games, it's when Ingram has not been around, uh, typically. And then you get into some of these guys. I know Javante Williams is a favorite to some. I'm just worried about this Melvin Gordon situation. And then you get in, like three guys that are high volume, but kind of ugly. Uh, is Ezekiel Elliott, David Montgomery, and Cam Akers. They all have their warts. Uh, with with uh, with Elliott, you got Tony Pollard looming. Uh, with David Montgomery, you have this awful offensive line. Uh, you just don't know how many touchdowns the the Bears are even going to score this year. How they're going to be able to move the ball consistently. And then with Akers, you have this uh, little sample size of him coming back off that Achilles late last year, just like a dreadful yards per carry. I think it was 1.88 yards per carry after coming back from that Achilles injury. And it does look like they want to feed him the ball. He was the bell cow. You know, David Montgomery was the bell cow. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, kind of a bell cow, uh, although his his usage sort of declined in the second half of last season as they went really pass happy. So that's how I, that rounds out the top 18 or so running backs for me. And I think you're getting into these situations where you're in the fourth round and you can get Ezekiel Elliott. I think that is a pretty good value for him, even though a lot of, a lot of folks are down on him and think that he's going to be usurped by, by Tony Pollard this year. What makes drafting right now in best ball leagues, I can't guarantee it's going to hang around for home leagues in August. I think so. Knowing that, Injury bias and recency bias is really how every fantasy league works for the most part. Uh, what makes it fun right now is that you can actually get Dalvin Cook, Saquon Barkley, and James Conner, or and Alvin Kamara. Like it's possible to get players with those elite workhorse profiles right now. And I don't know how much longer or how often or if we'll ever get to say that again. And so I do like drafting right now because I can get these players. And if I'm getting three, I, I only have to focus on two, really. And then I can just avoid the next range of running backs and let everyone else pick them apart, assuming they know their roles. And so I do love drafting right now. Even in redraft leagues, I like getting at least two of those four. And 
for me, you touched on like Saquon Barkley, for example. I, I do actually, by the end of August, once we get into high stakes leagues, main events and whatnot, I think he's going to creep up and be a top 12 pick for some because the hype is already there. And it's not a question about if he's going to handle touches. Like Matt Breida, who Brian Dable himself personally healthy scratched in the playoffs last year, and Gary Brightwell, who this regime didn't even draft themselves, or the backs behind Saquon Barkley. Like, of course Barkley's going to get the touches. That's not the question. The question is last year when he had the 15th lowest rate of explosive runs, what he depends on for his entire career, and he couldn't do it the last two years in particular. Like, is he still that player that's not explosive? Or are we just drafting a high floor guy, hoping he gets peppered underneath and used at receiver more? That's really the question mark here. And so I don't worry about Barkley's touches. But for James Conner, you mentioned, I compare the situation to... Will Fuller or Will Fuller on PEDs, since that's the last time we saw him actually healthy. And that you may be scared to draft him for his injury history. He still hasn't played a full season, James Conner. But also, he wins your weeks whenever he plays. So, who cares? Like, draft a player of that profile in the third or fourth round. As you mentioned, I'm not worried about Daryl Williams. I've been working under the assumption James Conner will get those five and a half targets and 20.8 touches he averaged in five games without Chase Edmonds last year because they – even showed they don't want to depend on anyone else behind him last season. And so I do love getting James Conner in that range and then taking a chance on Kamara as an RB3 because that's where we're at right now. Elliott out-touched Tony Pollard 22-3 inside the 10-yard line last year, and that's through injury. Uh, everyone knows by now, unless you've been living under a rock, Zeke was a totally different runner in his first five games before the torn PCL to close the year. But... Out of training camp right now, what we're getting is multiple running back sets since the team doesn't have a fullback on their roster. So actually they're using Tony Pollard more every single day. It's not just one-offs here and there. Like every single day it has become clear that Tony Pollard is in the slot or he's on the field at least while Zeke is also on the field. And I think it's because this team lacks explosiveness. Michael Gallup also telling media himself, that he's not going to be ready for week one. Like, it's not a possibility. And so, like, they need juice immediately. And Tony Pollard offers that juice. And that's how both of them get there. Zeke can still get there, fall forward for a couple touchdowns. And Pollard can then get there as a flex option, which he hasn't been, you know, the last two years, Everyone, even though everyone drafts him as such. So I think the news coming out of Cowboys camp right now for both Zeke in this range and Pollard later on is encouraging. I mean, I think with, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott is definitely a divisive player. Um, but in the fourth round, like, come on, like the, the values there, just, yeah. he's going to, they're going to keep feeding him the ball. And we saw that he wasn't washed in the first month or so of the season, as you mentioned, prior to that injury. And then he played through the injury. And if you're playing through an injury, you're not looking as good and you're not as productive. And they also went really past heavy in the second half of the season. He was still okay. Um, he's just being, I think, being drafted at his floor right now. And, yes. you, you know, and if you can get a guy who's going to get 20, 19, 20 touches per game in the fourth round for a good offense and it's going to probably score eight plus touchdowns at least, you, you know, you're don't, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it is where I'm at with Javante Williams in this range because I don't think you need him to win a 12 team league, even if his ceiling hits. I think given our options right now, it's actually not worth chasing Javante Williams where he's going in the third round. 
what are your thoughts on that? And I know it differs for like FFPC tournaments. If Javante Williams hits the ceiling, right? He overthrows Melvin Gordon. That's a player you do need for large field tournaments. But for like 12-team redraft, I really don't think it's worth the risk right now. Well, he's not, you said third round. He's going in underdog at 22.6. That's don't so, even count. I mean, this is a this crazy. is a tournament. These are these are tournaments. So yes. I understand that the idea of shooting for upside. This guy is a great player. He's using mm-hmm. top three or four in the uh, aforementioned uh, advanced stats that I get pulled from PFR. Just a really good player. Um, the issue is workload, and I, you know, anybody who reads my stuff knows that I follow the touches, and he had fourteen to fifteen touches pretty much consistently last year. His one spike week was when Melvin Gordon was out. So what it's going to take, and this is a new regime, so we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but they did bring Gordon back for a reason. And Gordon is still pretty good. He's not washed at all. He was he fared pretty well. I think he was top 20 in those advanced metrics uh, combined. So he's still running the ball well. So it's just going to take a big shift in philosophy. If, if they go to Javante being an 18-touch player, then he might meet these expectations. Um, but going from 14 to 18 is a, is a big leap when you have, you're taking four or five touches away from Melvin Gordon. Um, and the, the history there, the recent history is that they split things really down the middle. Um, and it's just worrisome to me. I think if he's around that late third, fourth turn, then that's certainly more appealing. Um, but I would have a tough time taking him over a James Conner just because I think that Conner's workload is going to be there. I also still have Javante in my third tier of running backs, the the players like the the Nick Chubb, Alvin Kamara, Cam Akers, Zeke, that we have question marks about. There are blemishes there. Javante's, of course, being his workload with Gordon. But there's no teardrop off for me just yet with Javante. For me, it rounds out with David Montgomery, ETN, and then Brees Hall. That's how I'm handling it. And even Brees Hall, I'm on the fence about, given their quarterback situation, and likely that'll still be a committee from week one. So let's hear the rest of your running backs until, until you believe the tears fall off. Yeah, with Montgomery is is kind of crazy. He's RB20 off the board at at uh, underdog, and he's got back-to-back seasons with, <clears throat> excuse me, 20-plus touches. Uh, he wasn't, I don't know where he finished last year off the top of my head, but he was top seven or eight the previous year. So I think normally we'd be falling over, tripping over each other, trying to draft a young running back with this sort of workload. The issue is this offense and this offensive line. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. The offensive line is one of the worst in the league. Uh, We don't know how many touchdowns the Bears are going to score. However, if you're getting 18 to 20 plus touches per game from a guy who's going in the fifth round, he's going pick 52. That's fine for your RB2. If you want to wait until that, round to grab your RB2 or RB3, that's really good production you're going to get out of that spot given his workload. I mean, it's just like he's still a solid player getting a big workload. Um, to talk about the, you know, tier drop-offs and all that, I think you, you're you just getting into some dicey stuff with Travis Etienne, uh, Brees Hall. Uh, Brees Hall's going, we haven't talked about him yet, but, you know, he's going around the 30s, pick 36. Um, at, at underdog, I think it's closer to pick 42. So he's going fourth round. I don't hate that. The Jets offensive line is going to be better. They've invested in it. Um, but what is the split going to be with him and Michael Carter? Who you know, Mark, Michael Carter was pretty good last year. So is it going to be 60-40 like I saw one beat writer say? 
Um, if that's the case, then maybe he's being overdrafted a little bit. If it's going to be 65-35 or 70-30, then you can make the case that Brees Hall is being underdrafted. Um, so that split's key for him. Uh, and then you get into these RB, like fringe RB2s. I think, I think um, Elijah Mitchell is – I mean, I understand all the – the tornadoes and the hurricanes swarming, you know, swirling around the, the the San Francisco backfield. But whenever Mitchell was healthy last year, he saw 18 uh, plus touches. Um, started to get a little bit more involved in his receiver. Extremely fast. It does sound like they want to take some of the load off of him, uh, which is concerning if you're drafting him based on volume. But you know, he's going sometimes in the sixth round. I think at underdog, he's going. Pick 65, so that's the middle of the sixth round. I don't have a problem with that at all, given that's one of the best running games in the in the league. Uh, but you, this is the dead zone that we used to talk about, or we talked about in the previous episodes. Like, do you want to even be targeting running backs in this range? I think he's one of the safer ones in this range, given the way that Kyle Shanahan used him last year. Well, I think that's why it's important to identify where everyone should essentially have at least one or two RBs unless you're going zero RB and waiting beyond the dead zone because you need to be aware of when the clip is. But it sounds like for you, the clip is at around RB 18 or 19 with ETN and Brees Hall. Yeah, I think that's where I start to get – I mean, ETN was looking pretty appealing. Uh, and, and as you mentioned or as you talked about earlier, James Robinson coming back and them calling Robinson the RB1 in Jacksonville is concerning for a guy who is being drafted in the third round. Um, and then I would just I would just add that if I was going zero RB and I started I would not mind Elijah Mitchell as my RB one, and then I would round out the rest of my roster with the uh, Chase Edmonds, Ramonde uh, Stevensons, uh, Cordell Pattersons of the world, maybe Rashad Penny. I've been getting him a lot later. Um, I would I wouldn't mind Mitchell as my RB one in the sixth round. I think that's a decent time to to pull the trigger. Well, then let's talk about the next group, the dead zone, because I think there are still some values if you waited uh you already mentioned elijah mitchell but behind him as our rb22 and projections aj Dillon, then josh jacobs antonio gibson jk dobbins who we discussed on we like drafting in that range ramondre stevenson chase edmonds rashad penny cordero patterson clyde edwards alaire so among all those yes we are trying to avoid a lot but do you have any one two that stand out a bunch yeah, I, I don't think that I would say that I would be avoiding this group. I think that, you know, I talked about I, I might be avoiding a lot of these guys. <laughs> I think that, uh, I mean, at their ADPs, I think Stevenson's a good pick. I think Edmonds is a is a really good pick in the eighth round. I think Penny is a very interesting pick given the way he finished last year. And uh, the beat writers are saying that he's the clear RB1 in Seattle. Now, how durable is he? I don't know. But maybe you get four or five, six, seven starts off of him at the start of the year, and then you're moving on. Um, it's a weekly game. Uh, I think uh, uh, Cordell Patterson's a great value where he's going. I mean, it, he was like RB7 last year, and he's going off the board like RB38, if I have my numbers right there. So, yes, they added, they brought in a rookie. Um, they're, they're probably not going to run him between the tackles as often, but they do like to feature him in the red zone. And they have a big hole at receiver, so he's going to catch a lot of passes. Um, so I think he's well underdrafted. He's a very fine RB3, RB4, especially in full PPR formats uh, that you can get in the ninth round. 
Uh, I don't know why he's, I mean, I guess he's, he's 32. So that's why he's gone so late. I think fantasy uh, managers in general are, are very ageist, very ageist and really excited about the brand new thing, the shiny new toy. But, you know, I'm not sure there's a huge difference between Travis Etienne and Cordell Patterson right now uh, with what their workload's going to be. Um, so that's that's maybe the issue for me with that group. I, I mean, I like some of those guys, certainly, and there's a few that I'm just avoiding. Um, but, you know, at the at, when the ADP gets to a certain – the draft gets to a certain point and the ADP gets favorable, then uh, I could see myself drafting any of these guys. I actually, actually took Josh Jacobs seventh round, I think. That was That's fine. Um I needed a running back and he's, you know, he'll, he'll see his 15 to 17 touches a game. And of course our projections also have ADP jammed in there for you. So for instance, if you look at RB 26 or Andre Stevenson, it's an 11th round ADP, but JK Dobbins RB 25 is a fifth round ADP. So you can see the discrepancies and thus you can see that, Oh, I'm going to be ahead of everyone on Andre Stevenson, but I don't necessarily have to draft him right here. I can actually wait a few rounds and still be ahead of the rest of my league. Um, I know Connor Allen of my show moved the line with him and Ryan Noonan, and you are also high on Chase Edmonds, RB 27, 10th round ADP right in front of Ramondre Stevenson. And so I'm curious to get your thought, in-depth thoughts on Chase Edmonds and what's happening in Miami's camp right now. Yeah. I don't want to like steal Connor Allen's, uh, thunder, but you know, he wrote a, he's in Portugal right now on his honeymoon. Right. As he so I think I, I don't think he'll mind me touting Edmonds and his his absence. But he wrote an article called "Chase Edmonds is a Massive Value in Fantasy Football," and the the things that he pointed out, you know, made a really good case to me. Number one, the money that they gave Chase Edmonds six point one million. Uh, compare that to one million for Mostert, eight hundred fifty k for Michelle, and then Miles Gaskin is. We're not sure he's going to be on the team. I don't think he's a factor when you bring in three other running backs. I don't think they want to use him. Uh, that much. So the money right there tells me they, they value Edmonds more. Um, now, that doesn't mean that he's going to lead the team in carries, but he's going to have a big role in the passing game. Uh, and he could lead the team in carries. It's possible. Uh, but he's what we do know about him is that he is extremely good in uh, zone uh, zone blocking. 5.8 yards per carry. This is a great fit with Mike McDaniel's offense, which he brings over from San Francisco. Uh, you know, they went out and got Edmonds first. And, you know, maybe he's not, I think he gets a lot of carries, but maybe he's not the goal lineback. And I think that's okay, given the, given where you can get him in, in drafts. I mean, he might, he's gonna, might be a guy who has 70 catches, 180, 200 carries, and that's a, that's a good workload for what you're getting, uh, where, you're being, where you're able to get him. Um, and I think the other thing about, I mean, there's a, there's a, I just retweeted it. It was a, a video of him discussing inside zone versus outside zone. And it was really a cerebral video, which was really interesting. And I just said, how can you not want to draft this guy in the eighth round? Just was really giving us a, an interesting uh, in the weeds sort of picture as to how he's thinking of it as a running back. And it's great to see somebody looking at his own film and trying to improve each day. So I like that mindset as well. It is like when Cooper Cup talks about route running at the end of NBC broadcast. It's always interesting, except then you have to look at Cooper Cup's Amish beard, and it's like, well, get him off my screen. I'm, I'm tired of hearing him talk about route running. Um, out in that range, though, so, well, quickly, Chase Edmonds for me, yeah, the blemish is that six career carries inside the five-yard line. But as we mentioned with Eckler earlier, you may be pigeonholed 
via one coach to a particular role, but now it's an entirely new coach that may view your role differently. And so, although I don't think Eckler will have the most fruitful role, the the role inside the five yard line, I think that's actually going to probably be Sony Michelle, given that McDaniel's comes from a Shanahan like committee where they use three to four backs. Thus, I think a bigger back is going to be using the goal line. I also understand that. It could be actually Edmonds. We don't know. It's ambiguous. So that's my lone concern with Edmonds. Just outside that range, though, at RB32, we have Miles Sanders. And I do like being higher on Miles Sanders. People are disgusted, I know, because he managed to score zero touchdowns on, on over 150 touches last year. But also when, he's, when he was healthy in the 12 games he was available for, led Philadelphia's backfield in both red zone and carries inside the five-yard line. And he actually outsnapped Kenneth Gainwell on third and fourth down in the 11 games they were healthy available for. And so without Jordan Howard now, I do think Miles Sanders could have an even larger role than even he thinks since he told us himself not to draft him. Uh, I'm (laughs) I'm ignoring him, and I actually am drafting him because I still think he's falling like to a good range in the eighth, ninth round. Yeah, and I think – yeah, it's it's a it's a definitely sets off alarm bells when the player is saying, "Don't draft me." Well, to because be fair, he, in that video, he when the moment they mentioned fantasy football, they said those two words. He was totally disgusted because, of course, haters and losers message him on Twitter yelling at him, and it's like, bro, it's not like uh, it's not my fault. Like, what do you want me to do about it? I was just gonna mention that it was a response to fantasy. He's like, yes. "Stop drafting me! Uh, I don't want to hear it." He was like rolling his eyes. So they're like Miles Sanders. There's a lot to like about him. Uh, he's dual threat back. They've got um, a great offensive line. They're, they're really up there in their offensive line rankings. Uh, his measurables are good. He was top 20 in both yards after contact per attempt and yard and broken tackles per attempt last season. And so the issue with him has been durability. That's been one factor. But you know, if you're middle round, eighth, you know, seventh, eighth round guy, that that's okay. You can afford to have him for 12 games and sort of deal with the other four or five games where you don't have him. Um, I think the issue, you mentioned the touchdowns. He should have scored more than he did. I think his, you know, opportunity for touchdowns was higher than zero. Um, and he had 13, 13.6 touches per game in 2021. They brought back Boston Scott, who you didn't mention, who has had a pretty significant role over the last couple of seasons for them. And then they've got uh, Gainwell as well. Um, and then you've got uh, Jalen Hurts vulturing rushing touchdowns as well. So I think there's just his touchdown upside isn't there uh, on the surface. Doesn't mean that he can't get six or something, you know, and maybe two as a receiver. That's possible. Um, the the fundamentals of him as a player are good. It's just the fact that this has been a committee for multiple years, his durability, and, you know, we just don't, know that he's ever going to see the 15 to 18 touches per game that you want out of a player that's starting for you on a weekly basis. I think it's tough to start him because you just don't know, is this going to be the week where he gets eight carries and no catches and, you know, 38 for 30 and that's it. Um, Because he's not getting that consistent usage that, you know, a lot of these other players are getting. As we continue on though, into the mid to low end RB threes in our projections, Tony Pollard, we already discussed, needs that pass-catching role, in my opinion. Kareem Hunt, Melvin Gordon, Ken Walker, J.D. McKissick, Tyler Algier, James Cook, Ronald Jones, for example. I think, to me, Ken Walker stands out 
as well as Michael Carter, who's still a little bit down the ways. But for me, I just prefer to play these ambiguous situations and drafting the later player, especially if you're someone like Ken Walker, who proved already he has a three-down profile. And so we know Seattle can only score X amount of touchdowns, X amount of points. We don't expect them to be an explosive offense whatsoever. They weren't explosive with Russell Wilson. Now imagine what they're going to be without him. And so just in case Rashad Penny has proved he can't hold off running backs for four years now, just in case he can't hold off as a week one starter, Ken Walker, I do like getting Ken Walker at what I consider a discount since he has a profile like no one else in his range. Yeah, Chris Carson, we, we didn't mention uh, in the news segment, but he's uh, retiring uh, with that neck injury. And, um, you know, he was always one of my favorite value, middle round value players to grab because he was getting tons of touches and was just a really strong, aggressive runner. And he was fun to have on on my fantasy team. So I just want to mention him. Uh, that didn't change much of my projections because I had him zeroed out because I just didn't know if he was going to be able to play. And I just assumed that it was going to, you know, he was going to be, you know, missing the season or at least the first part of the season. Um, so the, the thing, interesting thing with Penny, he finished so strong last year. Uh, finally, he's living up to, you know, the draft capital that the, that the Seahawks used on him. Um, Bob Condotta, who's a Seattle Times beat writer, longtime beat writer there, uh, he says that Penny's the primary back and that he projects him to handle 20 carries per game. Now, that's fine. <laughs> uh, he averaged 20.3 carries per game in his breakout run, according to uh, NBC Sports Edge here, your former employer. Uh, so I think the question is, are, when you're evaluating this backfield, is do you believe that Penny can stay healthy? Uh, his history has says no, um, but he does seem to have a significant amount of talent based on how he finished last year. So if he is able to put together a 14-game season, say – then he's going to be a very good value where he's going. On the other hand, if you're looking at Ken Walker and you're like, uh, you know, Penny can't stay healthy and we have this three down back that's behind him, then certainly his, as his ADP, I think they're going to, the ADPs are going to shift a little bit here with Penny and Walker, I think based on this, these comments by Kandata. Uh, in that case, if, if Walker's going second, uh, then, and you don't believe in Penny's durability, then it certainly makes some sense to grab Walker. Just outside this range, for values, for example, you have Tyler Algier as the RB38, and, for instance, Devin Singletary, who's going six rounds ahead of Tyler Algier, as the RB41. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying there's there are clearly values in this range as there's still so much disparity when looking at how people view and rank these running backs. So where are you at with Devin Singletary and perhaps some other names you have ahead of him? Yeah. And I moved you know, the Algier thing. I, I moved, I, ch I shifted some carries over from Patterson to Algier because I felt like I was looking at where I had Patterson ranked. I think I had him at 24 and it just was a little too aggressive because he might get dinged up. He's older. He might miss a game or two. Maybe he doesn't get all the carries that I had him projected for. I do think he's going to catch a ton of passes, but Algier now I have projected for 229 carries, so that's pretty good uh, workload for a rookie. Um, and then you, you you asked about the Buffalo situation, and this is a dicey one because Devin Singletary, you know, finished the season pretty strong. He finished it as their workhorse, but they were tied to uh, Brees Hall early in the draft process, and it sounded like they were really interested in getting a running back. 
They tried to sign uh, J.D. McKissick, and then uh, he went back to Washington. So clearly they want more juice out of the passing game uh, from their running backs, and that's why they drafted uh, James Cook. And I just don't know how this is going to shake out. It just doesn't seem like they were completely happy with Singletary. It does sound like he's going to be the first second down guy with Cook coming in on third downs. And when you have a running uh, a quarterback that runs as much as Josh Allen and scores you know as many rushing touchdowns as Josh Allen, that doesn't leave a whole lot of fantasy scoring uh, because there's no rushing touchdowns available, virtually none, uh, for these running backs. So. You know, I think in in PPR, James Cook is clearly ahead of Singletary. In half PPR, it's kind of close. It, it just depends on how they decide to to split up the uh, the carries there. And I think that somebody that seems to be flying under the radar, and I've drafted him in my last two FFPC uh, drafts, is Ronald Jones. Um, I'm not real high on Edward Solaire, uh, but he's. I mean, I have him higher than Jones, but there's some reports. There's, I saw it was. It's hilarious looking at the. NBC Sports Edge because there's one report that says that Ronald Jones was left off the the, the beat writers 53 player projection and then another beat writer said that he thinks that Ronald Jones has a real chance to win the starting job <laughs> so it, it's just anything can happen there but I think Ronald Jones is a pretty good runner of the ball I don't think he's a good pass catcher I don't think he's good in pass protection uh, but he could be in there on all those first and second downs and to get the goal line work for for KC and that would be a pretty valuable role for him especially going where he is in drafts. I've discussed it in the past too that I am higher on Ronald Jones because CEH only has five carries inside the five yard line since week two of his rookie year. He has been pigeonholed out of that role by his own coaching staff. So I'm not worried about him soaking up touchdowns, whereas that's where Ronald Jones plays. Yeah, you just need to be careful about the news items right now because while that beat reporter was correct, like Ronald Jones, his case was is only making a little more over a million on a one year deal. And so, of course, they could just leave him out. Uh, especially with CEH no longer on the pup list, activated basically 24 hours later. But at the same time, yes, we know that we're not expecting uh, Isaiah Pacheco, for instance, a seventh-round running back to actually take over an early down roll. I'm not worried about that whatsoever. So still love Ronald Jones where he's going at. Beyond that, though, is where we get even more confusing because really you get into the direct backups who don't necessarily have a role, at least some of them. You're just having faith in offense and maybe a new coaching staff that would use these guys in a higher role, like Alexander Madison, Raheem Mostert, we talked about, didn't open on the pup list. And although he's fragile, could still have, you know, 10 plus carries a game if he can stay healthy. Daryl Henderson, Jamal Williams, who actually did average just over 12 touches per game and starts with DeAndre Swift last year. Uh, Brian Robinson stands out given all the recent training camp news and even a player like Isaiah Spiller, who again could have a role behind Austin Eckler, especially if like Eckler has been mentioning that he wants it. He doesn't want 250 plus touches again because it takes a toll on his smaller frame. Yeah, this is the group where you've got the the real world backups and I I try to project them and rank them in a way that the guys that have that huge upside um, like Alexander Madison. Whenever Dalvin Cook is out, Madison is an RB1, fantasy RB1. He's been fantastic for them, but he's not doesn't have an, a weekly role that's significant, or he hasn't. Now, that doesn't mean the new coaching staff is not going to use him, but uh, you know it's been Dalvin Cook whenever Dalvin Cook is healthy. Uh, but Madison is a good player to have on your roster if he falls a little bit because now you have this guy who could be an RB1 if anything were to happen to Dalvin Cook. Uh, we know that things happen to running backs a little bit more frequently than they happen to wide receivers. 
and it's it's a more of a direct line from RB1 to RB2 in that situation. Whereas if a receiver gets hurt, you can't always say where those targets are going to end up going. Um, I think Daryl Henderson falls into that category. Uh, if something ha- were to happen to Cam Akers, he's a high-end RB2. Jamal Williams, uh, high-end RB2, mid-range RB2. If, if DeAndre Swift were to get injured, Gus Edwards, if he's healthy and Dobbins isn't, then Edwards is a solid RB2. Little, very little passing game role, but great as a runner in that Baltimore offense. Um, and then I don't like you're getting into a little bit more of a debate in terms of who the RB2 is in some of these situations. But, you know, Isaiah Spiller, Dante Foreman, um, Khalil Herbert, uh, Michael Carter, Naheem Hines, these are guys that have some significant upside if there's an injury above them. As as we sort of perceive the depth chart as it is, but we don't know for sure that Foreman, for example, is the RB two in Carolina. It seems like he probably is. He did he did well for Tennessee last year, uh, but they've got Chuba Hubbard there, and you know it could be more of a committee than maybe we think. Um, you know, I think Herbert is going really late, and he lo- he looks like he's got some talent. So if something ever happened to Montgomery, uh, he's an RB two or at least a high end RB three. Michael Carter, Naheem Hines. Pretty talented backs that if anything were to happen to, to Taylor or Reese Hall uh, would suddenly be in a big role. So I, I try to rank those guys that have that upside as high as I can within the, the constraints of the projections process because really, do I think that Alexander Madison is going to get 144 carries? I don't know. It, it, that's tough if Dalvin Cook plays you know, a full season. Um, you're looking at nine you know, eight or nine carries per game for Madison. That just, I don't think that's been his, his role there, but you, I, I assume that all these running backs are going to miss a, a couple games. And so that's when these guys get their, get most of those carries. But um, this is, this is that group and it, it goes a little further sometimes, but the, the zero RB folks want to load up and have three or four of these guys that have high upsides that hopefully one or two of them uh, benefits from an injury. Herbert, as you mentioned, averaged 22 touches and four starts for David Montgomery last year, but was basically just the team's primary kick returner whenever Montgomery was healthy, but still flashed explosiveness in those starts. So I do like being behind on him or being ahead of ADP on him. Also for Daryl Henderson, I am not as high on him as everyone else. Like I, I understand, but the common assumption that I think is incorrect is that Sean McVay uses two backs when that's not the case at all. Uh, Only one game last year out of 12 where one of their running backs didn't get injured did the starter not handle at least 70% of the team's backfield touches. Like Sean McVay does use only one back. I can't attest for how Cam Akers would look now two years removed from Achilles injury if he'll go back to being end of rookie year explosive as opposed to end of returning from an Achilles not explosive like last season, but I can attest that he will get all the touches. And so that's what I'm curious on. And that's why I'm behind on Cam Akers and less, much lower than consensus on Daryl Henderson. Also in this range, again, I mentioned Jamal Williams since he did have a career high, 179 touches with Detroit last year and still think he can uh, provide weekly value if you have injuries you don't want to be in a position of course where you're flexing him but in PPR leagues like I think he can provide value off your bench if you're dealing with a ton of injuries and then Robinson is the one I want to discuss on because the camp news with Brian Robinson Antonio Gibson who opened the pup list with a hamstring injury and JD McKissick we were already concerned about this third down role since JD McKissick was brought back 15 and percent target share last year and Gibson played significantly behind 
McKissick on third and fourth down, the role we want to, the role we dream for him to have in those first 10 games before McKissick got injured. But now we have Brian Robinson, and Ron Rivera has already mentioned in camp that he dreams of going back to the D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart combo, um, as well as Robinson already having the role in short yardage situation. And so like Gibson, it's all the empty calorie touches. Like that's what's left over for him in this backfield, which is practically useless. And so for the zero RBers, I think Robinson, although I'm not banking on his talent, I wrote this in the commander's team preview. You can go look at, I do think he has that role and thus can fall forward for touchdowns. And that's what we want in this range. Yeah, I think I think we talked about Gibson before. He's really a this is a weird deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's if you look at what he's done so far, this is another situation where we should be tripping over each other trying to draft this guy. He finished RB thirteen in twenty twenty, RB twelve in twenty twenty one. He's young. Um, he's tenth in touches per game with eighteen point five. His offensive line is a top twelve unit according to our offensive line guru, uh, guru uh, Justin Edwards. Um, but he's, his touches are getting even more pinched than they already were. Like some of that work was with J.D. McKissick sideline last year. The, the targets dropped from 4.4 for Gibson to 2.7 per game when McKissick is healthy. So now he's only, now he's only getting 2.7 targets per game if, if you're assuming that McKissick's out there. And then on top of that, they bring in Robinson, who they now want to be the goal line back. So um it it sucks for gibson uh who i think has been a good back and deserves a bigger role than what he's likely to see this year if all this talk comes to fruition i do think that his adp is falling such that the zero rb folks might have a chance at him if they are willing to pull the trigger on this in the sixth or seventh round um you could he might be a nice value there he's going to pick 72 right now an underdog so he, you know, you were talking about the you know, zero RB folks wanting Brian Robinson or being able to get him for touchdowns, but uh, they might be able to get him as you know their RB one or RB two in the seventh round. I will let you round out the hellscape that is RB sixty on anyone really that stands out for those eighteen to twenty round drafts that you've been higher on than most. Yeah, I think what people need to know how I use my own projections is. As I get down to the end here, I'm not really following who I necessarily have projected highest because I'm trying to project stats for the season. I, my rankings, if I just did pure rankings and didn't have to worry about the, the stats that I'm projecting, I probably would you know, have different things happening. So pay attention to yourself and to myself and to you know who we're talking about that has some upside at this stage in the draft. And I think you know he's going. I have him at 55 with Michael Carter, Naeem Hines at 54 upside like there's some upside there if either one of those rb1s go down as you get further down you're starting to look for these maybe talented rb2 rb3s that might get a chance uh to be in a big role i think dearness johnson if you look at his uh advanced stats really impressive last year in, in his limited role and if anything were to happen to either hunt or chubb he would probably be into a situation where he's now a fantasy starter type uh it doesn't have doesn't take both of them to go down for him to be in a in a fantasy starter flex type role for Cleveland as much as they run the ball. Um, Rashad White's interesting as the backup potentially for Leonard Fournette, but we don't know how quickly Gio Bernard's going to go away. Um, Samaj P. Ryan and Chris Evans are sort of vying for the role behind uh, Mixon. I think Evans probably could be the passing down back. He's got some upside. 
and P Ryan started on the pup, if I'm not correct, uh, incorrect there, uh, starting camp on the pup. So some upside there, or at least some appeal there. I've been grabbing Evans very, very late in drafts. Um, so I think that probably you mentioned hellscape. That's probably a good term for it. Michelle's going, Sony Michelle's going very late. I think the idea or the general thinking is that Raheem Mostert has the advantage on him because they signed Mostert first and Mostert has, um, a history with Mike McDaniel and that's all true. But if Mostert gets injured again, it might just be the Edmonds Michelle show. And that puts Michelle into a pretty good spot where he might see 12 to 15 touches per game as well. Plus the goal line work that you mentioned earlier. Um, after that, I haven't gotten a ton of thought about the, the really the low, low RB guys here. Um, but you, you basically want to grab guys that with an injury or even two, um, have a chance to now become fantasy starters for you. Not necessarily grabbing the guy that has the highest stats in my projections. And for a lot of people, they won't reach this point where they need to draft like Chris Evans in their home leagues, right? Most benches are six players, I believe. So they won't have to go to this range. But still, Michael Carter, perhaps Mark Ingram, if we get some Alvin Kamara news, those are the players I do like taking chances on. Tyrion Davis-Price as well because we know he could have a, a Jeff Wilson role where he does score double-digit touchdowns. It's really possible on fewer than 120 carries. So I like keeping those players in mind. But with that being said, everything else, projections, player spin, player debates are on the site right now. What do you have on the site for everyone as we move along? Well, as you mentioned, I just uh, published my 99 stats, but a Mitch is one article. It's the third or fourth inter- iteration, annual iteration of that. Uh, hat tip to Brandon Niles for coming up with that name. Um, lots of really good nuggets in there from my uh, research for each player. And I try to put it together in a, in a comprehensive way. Uh, and I'm right now I'm working on my draft day strategy article, which I hope to have out next week. I've gotten requests to get that up earlier and earlier every year. So now I'm trying to shoot for the end of July, early August to get that up. Cause I know a lot of people are holding their fantasy drafts and doing a lot of drafts in August and not just late August anymore. Uh, so that's what's happening, and I'm trying to stay on top of the draft notes. So, if, for example, if you look at the Julio Jones uh, blurb and the Godwin blurb and all the all the Tampa Bay stuff, that's all been updated for the, uh, for the news about Godwin and, and Jones getting signed. Uh, so keeping that all up to date sometimes is a challenge, but uh, I'm, I'm up for it. So that, the rankings, uh, 99 stats, and then hopefully strategy next week. Also, rankings change log is on the site from you going on right now. And my team previews, 16, half the league will be up by Saturday and hopefully round those out in the next week and a half and be back in about 10 days with my favorite players outside the top 150 for everyone. Remember, early bird discount at 444. That's how you access everything going on. Uh, Until next time, remember, be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you next week.